Welcome to the forum. My name is Mike. I am one of the priests here at Holy Communion, and I am really glad today to be joined by a friend of the congregation and contract worker with us right now, uh, Hannah Shanks. Today we're going to be talking about Grace Gathering, uh, which is our worshiping community uh, within Holy Communion. We're still in a sort of planting mode, uh, but it is a worshiping community for uh, diverse people, people of diverse ages, abilities, and faith journeys, um, specifically focusing on those who are neurodiverse uh, and otherwise ability diverse. Uh, it was started by the Reverend Lori Anzalotti, and she had a team getting moving, and then we hit COVID, and then Lori transitioned and uh, to into leading another congregation. And so in the meantime, um, the vestry and I asked Hannah to step in as an interim leader with Grace Gathering. Uh, Hannah, and many of you know, she's uh, been a speaker, she's a writer. Um, she's spoken here at our forum before about other topics and she's a social worker um, with some background in these communities. And so it's been really great having Hannah on staff and working with Grace Gathering. And we thought it was time for an update. So Hannah, thank you, thanks for joining. Um, I wonder, can you explain a little bit more? I've, I've done a little intro, but can you say a little bit more about Grace Gathering and uh, where it has come from and where it is now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing to know about Grace Gathering is that it's meant to, to work with the folks for whom church-flavored church is not the ticket. If you want a shorthand, I think that's probably the best way to conceptualize of it. Um, so in 2019, when Reverend Lori Anzalotti was here, uh, Holy Communion started moving down this road for how can we serve those for whom an hour-long service during which the normal society expectation is you're mostly going to stay in the same spot, you're mostly going to stay fairly quiet, you're mostly not going to rustle too much, and you're mostly not going to talk while the people at the front of the room are talking. Now, we know how difficult that is, even for fidgety adults like me. Uh, if you ever see me in a church or the Reverend Mike Angel, if you ever see me in a pew, I'm probably going to be doodling on my program or folding the edges of the paper, or maybe I've brought my own fidget. But there are plenty of other folks for whom those sort of general expectations are just not within the realm of comfort and not in a place where we can learn and grow and be in touch with our community and with God because it's a little too restrictive. So in 2019, as I mentioned, Holy Communion began considering how we might be able to serve a community that looks like that, who needs more freedom of movement, who needs a shorter duration, and um, some, some service cues for what's coming next so that we can anticipate and follow what may be going on. 
Lori began forming a team in 2019 of folks that you all know at Holy Communion, your fellow congregants, people who were interested in coming alongside this vision of building a worship service that would be able to serve those folks. And as Mike already kind of alluded to, in early 2020, the team was ready to get into full swing. There were some events, we were networking, uh, connections were being made, and then COVID happened. And I'm really not gonna belabor that because we're all very tired of hearing about COVID disruptions. The team took a purposeful pause to think about how do we even begin to do this in this newly emerging kind of in-between world. and. Through that purposeful pause, they developed a way of gathering online that preserves the the feel of grace gathering, that it's abbreviated. There's um, body movement incorporated. There's a lot more sharing among the group. But what we noticed is that as we went around and gathering online, it was really hard to connect with the folks for whom grace gathering was intended. It was very difficult to build those relationships. So now um, with Reverend Anzalotti's departure, like Mike said, I was brought in to kind of help with the transition and hold the boat together a little bit along with the grace gathering leaders. And now we're here beginning to forge our way into 2021 and figure out what this service can look like and how we can best connect with those for whom it's intended. Yeah, so I think it may be helpful for folks to um, see a little snippet of what worship has looked like, um, because it is, it's very different. It really is a very different way of thinking about worship, about thinking about gathering. For those of us who are Episcopalian and are used to opening the prayer book to page 355, it's a pretty different feel. Um, and so I wanted to take a moment and let you see one of the virtual um, service components. Uh, we have a really great storyteller on our team named Grace, who has done a lot of the sort of presentation of the biblical stories, which is also sort of a little bit of interpretation and gets us ready for the activity, which is sort of, it's the whole of what in, in sort of church flavored church, to use Hannah's term, we do at the beginning, the liturgy of the word, the storytelling from the Bible and the preaching. This is sort of the moment of that. So I'm gonna let Grace uh, tell the story real quick, and then Hannah and I will be back to talk a little bit more about what this is. Our story today comes from our Bible, our book of stories about God and God's people, about Jesus, God's Son, and about God's love for us. Our story today comes from the letters of Paul. A long time ago, a man named Paul believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed it was important to continue the work that Jesus had started. Paul traveled from city to city, teaching about Jesus. One of the things that Paul taught about was prayer. Paul said to pray without ever, ever stopping. There are many kinds of prayer and ways to pray. Prayer, our conversations with God, can happen in many ways and at any time. We can pray quietly in our hearts. We can pray out loud. We can pray alone or with others, like we're doing right now. Reach out, grab my hands. We can also pray by singing or making art or dancing or just by playing. I like to pray by riding my bike. 
We can pray at any time. Maybe you pray at mealtimes or before bed. God wants to hear from us. And sometimes we just might hear an answer back. Today, let's explore a different way to pray. Amen. So you can see in that, it's a pretty different way of thinking about how to engage. Hannah, can you notice some things about what works about that mode of storytelling for the neurodiverse um, community? Right. And the beautiful thing about Grace Gathering is that it is created with a really wide umbrella of folks and methods of engagement in mind. So I think the first thing to notice is um, the language that's used. And so we tend to use shorter sentences. There's not a lot of, um, hmm. and a lot of our church flavored church services, there's a lot of metaphors to keep track of. And it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's tough even for those of us who have been in the pew a lot. Uh, within Grace Gathering, there tends to be one or two visuals that are called upon and then they carry throughout so it is easier to follow. Um, we tell the story with movement and visual cues in addition to our language. And so even if we were not sure what that who Paul was or what he was doing, there was the visual of a figure moving from building to building, which helps us to understand this concept of travel that's happening. Uh, we do a lot of direct application within storytelling and activities for Grace Gathering, trying to tie back to the daily lives of the folks who are experiencing Grace Gathering with us. Um, you heard Grace talk about maybe you pray before mealtime or before bed. We can pray while we dance. We can pray on our bikes. Um, and that's not something you often hear straight from uh, like at the same time as the Bible story reading. So you can think of it as as a very intentionally rearranged and somewhat collapsed version of what's often done in an Episcopal service. Um, but I would hesitate, I would never ever say that it is watered down. I do not believe it's watered down for a second. It is communicated differently and very intentionally. Yeah, so a, a thing to know is that Grace Gathering follows a curriculum, a pattern largely that was developed um, by a community called Rhythms of Grace. So we decided that name didn't fit us well, but um, Audrey Scanlon, who's now the Episcopal Bishop in central Pennsylvania, uh, was one of the originators, a number of curriculum writers. As a writer and as a preacher, I have to admit, I find Grace Gathering a little intimidating because it is not, it's not watered down, but it is so tight with the way it uses that time and that storytelling uh, in a way that I kind of admire. And Mark Twain once wrote something and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to make this shorter. And in some ways that there's just so much intention in every word with Grace Gathering. It's really, really the way those stories are told. It's really tightly done. Um, and then like, I love that. That's just a great example of how great of a storyteller Grace is. She works as a um, preschool teacher during the week. Uh, but that the way she moves her body and brings in song and sort of continues to surprise, but also invite that if somebody was squirmy or if somebody, if the visual wasn't really working, maybe the auditory would for somebody. Um, it's kind of an amazing thing. So you said a word about it, but 
Um, can you talk a little bit about the challenge of Grace Gathering as a virtual gathering versus an in-person gathering? Yes. Um, some of it relates to the time at which the pivot had to happen and some of it relates to who we're seeking to serve. So there's sort of two different threads happening. Um, first is that Grace Gathering was young in its conception. And so we did not have the deep wells of relationship and you know common feedback that other more established ministries or just like daily life rhythms thing had to draw on when a COVID pit a bit occurred. It instead happened when we were beginning to reach out and then lost a lot of our ability to make those deeper um, wells of relationship. So that was the first portion that moving online limited our ability to um, to connect with the folks for whom Grace Gathering is intended. Um, the second thing is that the actual virtual service component carries with it some difficulties. So we talked about how a church flavored church kind of requires you to sit mostly still, stay mostly in the same spot. And if you are a person for whom wandering about is a lot better, or if you've tried to observe anyone who just well, let me put it this way. Some of you who are going to be listening to this, I know without being in your house, that if you take a cell phone call, you start pacing all over your house because you communicate better. I know this because I'm married to a person who does this. A lot of the folks for whom Grace Gathering is intended, sitting where they can see a screen is exactly what we were trying to avoid with how we were building Grace Gathering. And so even though it is abbreviated, our services usually run more like a 30 minute window rather than an hour. Um, it would be very difficult for someone to sit and be in front of a screen, even though we do have activity breaks built in. Really, really reduced in order to be executed online. Yeah, I think that there's you're you're right on in terms of some of the challenges we have faced in terms of building virtual community. In one way, we've built virtual community among the team at Grace Gathering pretty effectively, but in the other, it's it's been very difficult. I and mean, when the vestry decided to um, create the assistant rector position that Lori stepped into, and we were talking about our hopes for it, and then in the grants that we have written as well that are under um, writing a lot of this ministry for the next two years, a lot of what we talk about is a goal that we set as a congregation um, to create space for people who have not been well served by church. Uh, that we didn't sp specify neurodiverse, we didn't specify that, that sort of all developed, but um, not well served by church. Part of, I think, what you're saying as well is there's both a, the virtual environment is a pretty hard environment for folks who are neurodiverse that are kind of the cent who we hope to center in this community. But another piece is we didn't already have a large established community right. there um, that we're going to buy into this for us. We, in some ways, are still at square one in terms of building the community and reaching the folks that we hope to reach. Can you talk a little bit about, I know you've you're, um, you've just submitted just to me, I haven't even shared it with the Vestry yet, you and I are still doing comments, but a report about Grace Gathering and you make some recommendations mm -hmm. about next steps. Can you talk a little bit about your sense of, 
you know, is this still a viable community? Is it still something that is needed? And what what do we as a church, both the small team at Grace Gathering, but as a wider church, what do we need to do next to ensure its success? Yes, absolutely. So this is in the written report, so I'm not going to try to give you the long verbal citation, but the short answer is there's definitely still need for this sort of approach. And there are absolutely folks who are in our region who are seeking this sort of way of engaging. We know that um, through studies that have been done. And what we know is that for families with a, a neurodiverse child or families with a uh, child with a physical disability, there is a strong trend of having very negative experiences within church-flavored church, other worshiping communities. Um, that It varies from no one ever asked me about how my child might be better served by something, all the way through to my family was told to leave the service out of church. And while it's hard to imagine that, I know that Holy Communion is a really bright-hearted and welcoming place. I've experienced that myself. It is unfortunately a very common occurrence. Um, the reason why I say uh, parents with children who are neurodiverse or, or physically disabled is because that's the research that we have, but it absolutely also occurs to adults um, who encounter this from being unable to physically access a space uh, to being invited to leave because of the way that they engage a worship space. So the need is there. It's very well demonstrated. As yeah. far as your grace gathering is right now, in order to address that, there are some big, big strengths to draw on. One of which you already mentioned, Mike, this team is really wonderful and has been a total joy. Mm. Uh, when I do program evaluations, I always wonder, you never know what you're stepping into as an outside evaluator. Um, and I stepped into a group of people who really adore the time that they spend together, who have prioritized Grace Gathering, who have worked really hard um, and were extremely welcoming to me, which they did not owe me anything, but it was great. Um, so it's a really wonderful, cohesive team. It's also a, a team that's been willing to make a lot of pivots as we've already talked about pivot to online pivot to changing to this now you have a new person you're working with so we have a really strong foundation to build off of the next couple of things that we need to go toward in order to get to the vision of grace gathering um, first is you've probably even heard mike and i stumbling around it a bit we need to create a cohesive language of love about how do we talk about the folks who grace gathering is intended for um how do we better define this in a way that is not alienating and doesn't trip off the tongue because for a lot of us if you are someone who's used to not being served well by church and you encounter someone who can't even quite get their mouth around the thing that you are or or the type of person you bring to a worship space, we become suspicious, understandably so. So we want to make sure we have a good, cohesive language. Another thing that we need to work, work toward um, is building those relationships that were interrupted at the beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Um, 
how do we find and connect with the folks who might be served by Grace Gathering? And how do we make those invitations in a way that feel comfortable to the folks doing the invitation and also are able to be received well by the folks on the other end of that invite? Um, that's a growing edge for a lot of folks and it's a growing edge for this team too. Yeah, I, that is something that I think we're continually learning at Holy Communion, but um, it, it's a both and right now because it's we both need to build a worshiping community that is, you know, a worship service that is responsive um, to this group. But it's also true that especially people who have been, who have experienced abuse or neglect or trauma in church spaces, the first space they want to encounter you often is not in a worship service. Um, and so I know that when Lori was thinking about Grace Gathering, the initial plan was to do a series of events that were not worship, um, that would build the community, build the sense of relationships, that a lot of the work ahead is really about relationship building um, with people and with families that include neurodiverse individuals. And that, you know, some of the work ahead is figuring out how does that happen? Are there other things that the team could be building alongside worship that might be a little bit lower bar for access that could help build some relationships and build some community. Uh, and that's, a, I think, a, a big piece for us is like, like we found with Theology on Tap for our main worship service, how do we create space where people feel comfortable, um, that they feel like they can, you know, feel invited um, that is not automatically alienating. And that, that's something that can be hard for Holy Communion Nights to experience because like you said, for so many Holy Communion folks, church for years has been this warm, welcoming community space where they don't feel alienated. And so it, it's a little bit of a, you got to put yourself in the other person's mindset, the other person's shoes to even get there. So we've talked a little bit about um, we're, we're, we're at another point of transition. Uh, Grace Gathering next weekend is going to have its first in-person gathering uh, ever. I mean, like for worship, which is exciting. Um, and we're about to next month welcome uh, the Reverend Julie Graham, who will be taking up this work as part of her work as associate rector. What does the congregation need to know as we take these next steps? There's no one set answer. And whatever the answer is in May, whatever we attempt in May may not be what it looks like in July or August or moving forward. Um, I say that with some sense of tiredness in myself because I know we're all really ready to put our feet on some solid ground, um, but we're not quite there yet, particularly with Grace Gathering. Um, I think the congregation should know that in talks with the team and with Vestry, this is not a service that we plan to grow to 60 or 100. We're not talking about a great big thing. That would actually defeat the purpose of the gathering, which is to help folks feel you know, more comfortable and safe in a smaller, more intimate setting. So you can expect that it will look small and it will be small and that that is the goal. That is the intention. Um, you can expect that 
there will be more opportunities to invite folks and to see and hear and feel and touch and taste the way that we do at Grace Gathering, what Grace Gathering is about. Um, as Julie steps in, I will be working and being in contact with Julie. So you need to know she's not being thrown in a deep end all by herself, um, but that there will be some thought partnering that goes on between Julie and the Grace Gathering team and myself and Mike, that this will be continue to be a really well supported service, but that we are gonna have to feel our way forward a little bit, I think is an okay way to say that. We're also going to be looking at things that are not just in-person grace gathering. We're gonna be seeking those opportunities to build on the assets that Holy Communion has and that grace gathering the leadership team already has. For example, across the road in, is it Jackson Park? It's Mooney Park now, yeah. Okay, Mooney Park. There is a small uh, playground that is designed for adaptive use for larger kids and for kids with uh, physical disabilities to play and engage. That's a huge asset to have right across the road if you're looking to be able to meet and network with families who Grace Gathering might be able to partner with. So there's good things on the horizon, I guess, is the best thing to say. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take a venture at the answer to that question too, which is mm -hmm. the hope of building the service is to notice something about Holy Communion, I think, as well. Um, Holy Communion has, I mean, when we were getting ready to start um, Grace Gathering, Bishop Wayne uh, pulled me aside and talked to me about a time when he came and um, did a confirmation service uh, with a member here who was neurodiverse and how much that meant to him because it, it was not a common occurrence in his episcopate uh, to have a congregation that had come around a family like that. We know that already in our congregation, there are um, folks with uh, autism spectrum and um, who are in different places in terms of um, the way they engage the world. And the idea is not to create a segregated out separate service for, I mean, like the idea is if anything to build on and expand that welcome and that diversity knowing that there is a set of folks for whom the way we do church flavored church already works. And there are some folks for whom the brightness of the lights, the length of the service, the loudness of the organ, um, the the sort of rigidity of stand up, sit down and don't run around though at Holy Communion, it's a little more commotion-y than that. But that, that still is too much or it's, it's not within the comfort zone. And so creating this space, the other thing that I firmly expect when we're in this, I think we're all taking very timid first steps into in-person, but when we are more comfortable in in-person and Grace Gathering is a more comfortable in-person space, I firmly expect that Holy Communion folks will pop by and check it out. Um, I know that there are a lot of us for whom the idea of a shorter church service a little bit later in the day where there is literally room to wiggle um, and to move might serve our congregation well. And a sense of familiarity with what this looks like might prepare us to have conversations with people we know in our lives who have maybe been alienated from church because of behavioral difference or because of neurodiversity. And it might make us more ready to do an invitation. So I think it's partly like bear with us, um, help, us get to know, and especially when Julie gets here, help her get to know those people in your lives that might be served or might know people who might be served by Grace Gathering, um, and then lean in with us. 
uh, do come check out a service. Uh, go to gracegathering.org, uh, the website. I'll put that up here on the screen in just a second. Um, but go to uh, gracegathering.org and check out a couple of our um, virtual services. And then when we get one of our hybrid in-person services, uh, we will put that up as well. There's the website, just gracegathering.org. All right, Hannah, I said we'd talk for 20 minutes. We've talked for almost 30. Is there anything that you want to say uh, before we close things out? I think I would just like to throw in one last little professional opinion um, spice, I suppose. And it's that I know that it can feel for you know, members of this team or others observing, like this has been a lot of pivots in a short amount of time. And now we're being asked to do what exactly? Yeah. As someone who you know has a degree that's focused in program evaluation, when you look at an organization that's only right at a year old, you're right on time. Even forget about the COVID pivot, you're right on time. The first time you launch um, a social service outreach of some kind or a worship service of some kind, anything new, you do it with the best picture you have. And then as you go about the work, the picture changes. So rather than this feeling like a big change, and I certainly hope no one feels like a setback or like we're going backwards, this is right on time. This is readjusting and recalibrating to move forward with information we have now that we didn't 12 months ago. And so I hope that that can be a source of energy rather than a source of any sort of friction or drag. Great. All right, Hannah, thank you so much. Um, and uh, and we look forward to talking with the congregation more about Grace Gathering in the days and weeks and months ahead. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks so much for the update. Thanks.